0: Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week we're discussing the animated series episode yesteryear. That's right, Liz convinced me to do an
1: animated <laughs> series episode. I knew you had watched this because you did the Amanda Fashion Project for me, which I was very grateful for. And I thought, well, rather than making Annika watch a different animated series (laughs) episode, what better way to launch into season two of Lower Decks than talking about this one, which is said to be the best and only canonical in Gene Roddenberry's eyes, episode of the original animated Star Trek i
0: i have not seen all of the animated series but of the three that Mm -hmm. i have seen it's definitely the best yeah yeah i think that that's about it really (laughs) and that's all i know that's not all i have to say about Mm. it because this is actually a very sweet spock story that having been so i'm doing this it'll be out by the time this is out a new a vid that's a tribute to all of the Star Treks up through Lower Deck Season 1 because I'm not including Lower Deck Season 2 because I'm putting it out before, before it starts. So I've been watching little bits of every series a lot. I've watched a lot <laughs> of Star Trek. Over the past few days, I'm at Discovery. I'm almost done with Discovery, and then I'll be moving on to Picard and Lower Decks and short treks. But other than that, I've watched everything in little micro doses, though. (laughs) But that means that I've seen parts of the original series and the Spock parts of Next Generation and the movies and Discovery, a a lot of little bits over the course of a very short amount of time. And Yesteryear actually fits in very well to Spock's canon.
1: So that's fun. <laughs> I think that's because it's written by D.C. Fontana, and she loved Spock, and she really put a lot of thought into this story. It ties in so closely with both Journey to Babel and The City on the Edge of Forever that it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like a silly afterthought the way, for example, the TAS episode about the giant robot Spock clone might. Well, it's one I've only heard about. Yeah, same.
0: But I uh, believe.
1: (laughs) The mud
0: episode of T.A.S., unfortunately, (laughs) went in well with the mud episodes of T.O.S., but that's not a compliment to either. (laughs) And the triple episode, which is the other episode that I've seen, those are the three episodes I've seen (laughs) of, of T.A.S., and the triple episode... It was very forgettable. It did not stick in my mind. The only thing that stuck in my mind is that there are canon pink trolls, Which is important, but can they make up for everything else? Right. TAS does seem like we're bringing out all the old hits of TOS, mm. but sort of wackier. And I read a little bit of this, what Gene Roddenberry and what DC Fontana said about it, and... I love this. I will say one of the purposes of the animated series was to do things that they couldn't do with special effects yes. in live action, and that's great. I love that that was like a point of doing this, a purpose. And so i I can't like be super angry at giant robot Spock because no, no that's or or the Griffin that appears in this episode. <laughs> I actually love the griffin that appears in this episode. (laughs) So it's like, it's fun, but also it's weird. You know, we're watching this because Lower Decks is premiering soon and we're getting ready for, Mm. you know, jumping back into that universe. And Lower Decks similarly does crazy things that are nonsensical, but Lower Decks does them on purpose, whereas TAS tries to take it seriously.
1: Watching TAS... I sort of realized why my parents don't take animation seriously. Right, exactly. Like it's, it's cheap, it's silly, it has brilliant ideas but doesn't really execute them with the sophistication of even live-action Star Trek. I understand that there were a lot of budgetary constraints that went into TAS, but it is n- not to me a particularly great Star Trek.
0: Yeah, it's just I mean, whatever. It's fine. It's it's fine. We've discussed that I don't love TOS either. And no. it sort of suffers from being more TOS, but even TOSier. Yes. It's just it's not gonna be my thing. But I did enjoy this episode. I think it's a great little Spock story and it's ridiculous. Everything that happens is ridiculous, but that's okay. That's fun. And it was a really great time to rewatch it. Because I've been sort of, you know, semi-obsessed with Loki. Yes. <laughs> this episode reminded me of Loki.
1: Oh, I had so many <laughs> feelings about... First of all, this is an episode where Sarek is more than usually a bad dad. I-, I thought a lot about the parallels between Loki and Spock and Odin and Sarek, but particularly Frigga and Amanda as... Yes mothers who love their kids but are also complicit in the emotional neglect that they suffer.
0: It does go back to the fact that Amanda was created in 1960. Oh, absolutely. She's very 1968. (laughs) Yes. 1968 feminism, but it's 1968 feminism. And I love that... Discovery has teased that out and been like, mm. we have to explain why this is the way this is from now now times. No points to the MCU for Frigga's characterization.
1: No, because that was the 2010s and there was no excuse. I just don't think Frigga um, was a person to them.
0: Right. They, yeah, they just did not care. They did not care and she didn't get any characterization until after she was dead. And I love the fact that they brought her back and made her important briefly Briefly. in Endgame. That was like a gift to me. But it was definitely, it was an afterthought. Yeah. Literally. It was literally an afterthought like five years later. And yet at the same time, that's like one of the things that not good fans of the mcu but the terrible fans of the mcu are like why (laughs) you know we don't care about her we didn't need to bring her back
1: it's interesting that we don't see the same sort of level of hostility to spock's mum in in star trek fandom and i don't want to say that star trek fandom is so much better than others but i feel like we've had time to process our stupid ideas and get them out of the way and I think it's also that the bad MCU fans are still watching the MCU, but the
0: bad Star Trek fans are like angry at Discovery. They only hate Watch Discovery, mm. and so it's very easy to ignore them. True, sure, because sure. you can could, you could just sort of you know do a blockchain and be like, I don't have to talk to you. Mute STD. I mean, that makes things better on multiple
1: levels. So. It's it's true, it's true. There might be heaps of men out there complaining that Amanda is too prominent and, you know, more important than Sarek, and I just haven't observed them. And if I don't observe them, do they exist at all? They do not. That's right, exactly. So, this is a time travel episode in which Mm -hmm. Spock and Kirk have taken a nice jaunt through the Guardian of Forever, with no mention of the deeply traumatic events that took Kirk through it last time, and... They're there to observe a bit of history but when they come back they find to their horror that the timeline has been changed in Spock's absence and they are now in a timeline where Spock died as a child and his Mm -hmm. parents separated and then his mother died and the first officer of the Enterprise is an Andorian. Mm -hmm. And what follows is a very simple story where Spock goes back through the Guardian of Forever to save his younger self. And along the way he deals with some family stuff and loses a pet. So he remembers
0: the time when the other Spock died. Yes. That, you know, he remembers almost dying, but he remembers his cousin saving him. And so it turns out that his cousin, quote, unquote, was mm. actually Spock, <laughs> Spock from a different timeline, shows up and saves Spock. And yeah, literally parenting himself. That's like that's what he does in this episode. Older Spock. It's not like his parents are going to do it, (laughs) and he's a better parent in like the half an hour he spends with little Spock than his parents are for their entire lives. (laughs) So pretty much, that's a little upsetting, but but it's also very there. There's a lot. Of stuff going on. Older Spock understands his parents. Older Spock understands what young Spock needs to hear yeah. from an adult that his parents never told him. And it's all wrapped up in, you know, the troubles of a mixed marriage and
1: two different cultures, two different mm. cultures that don't really get along to begin with, and that have very conflicting and contradictory outlooks. So Spock, who calls himself Selick. <laughs> I just pictures like Spock with a big mustache.
0: <laughs> Spock in a Hawaiian shirt. Yes. so our Spock pretending to be Selick, finds young Spock and tells him how to be a Vulcan in the Spock way. It sort of suggests that the only reason that Spock, got out of childhood as a sane person <laughs> is that Spock came back in time and told him how to do it.
1: He is sort of his own grandfather in, in the psychological sense. He's at least his own mentor. Yes. His own teacher. Yes.
0: I have a lot to say about the fact that Sarek and Amanda are sort of like, yeah, sure, that cousin I've never heard of. Cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll let this complete you're, you're stranger. You're definitely
0: related. You you look like us, so sure. <laughs> and the fact that then they basically abandon their child to this random cousin that they've met, like, 15 minutes ago, who could be literally anyone. I mean, like, Sarek is famous. Sarek is a celebrity like it would be so easy to kidnap Spock and or Amanda yes for ransom and I get that like you know Vulcan is very oh we don't have crime but I'm sorry
1: Sarek you're ambassador of earth many people want to Harm you and your family. It made me think that this was made in the seventies, and it was before the whole stranger danger, child kidnapping panic of the eighties. And so, you do wonder if, even just a few years later, it would have played out somewhat differently. Maybe it was a more innocent time. I
0: guess it's just it's so funny to me. I mean, I'm very much a child of stranger danger. Yeah, yeah, taught to me from a very young age. Like kindergarten was when.
1: We were introduced to this idea and you were terrified for the rest of your life. Right, so... right. I listened to the You're Wrong About episodes about the moral panics of the eighties and strange danger was very much an inflated fear. But I'm still like, Don't let this strange man into your house to hang out with your child. Like at least supervise him.
0: Yeah, they just they just were like, Cool, you're here to hang out with Spock. Yeah. Yeah We're gonna we're out, have fun. Like take him on The field trip to prove he's a man (laughs) when he's clearly not a man. Like, let's just, I don't know how old he's, they're, they're young. Are they seven? They're seven. So. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. The whole thing is terrible. Vulcans are terrible. They are and Amanda are terrible. Spock is the only good.
1: (laughs) I certainly believe that when Tuvok prepared his children for this rite of passage, he did a much better job than just going, and you won't disappoint me, will you, son? Will you? Spock? I have some important
0: advice for you. Do not disappoint me or else. That's it. That's his only advice.
1: What really blew my mind about this story is this idea that this little boy, this boy of about seven, is expected to choose between two contrasting cultures, and that's <sighs> his entire life from that moment. And I don't even think people should be choosing their college degrees when they're 17. Yeah, so I went to
0: Brandeis University, where Gates Fathom mm-hmm. went, which is a historically Jewish university. Yeah. I, I'm not Jewish and neither is Me Fathom, but whatever.
1: It has a great so, arts
0: program. It has a great arts program, exactly. So... My oldest friends are the, the people that I met in college, and they are predominantly Jewish. But one of them, my my like oldest and dearest friend, who was my sophomore year roommate, she married a Christian. Yeah, and she, she raises her two sons very, you know, within the Jewish faith, and they're considered, you know, like by blood Jewish because. She, it's a maternal line and so they are very very jewish and they both had bar mitzvahs and like this whole thing but they still also go celebrate christmas with his family like right they know all of those legends i think that they would identify as jewish Mm. but they know a lot of christian rites. they certainly respect their father and his family
1: and their belief
0: system and it's not a case
1: of oh well (laughs) You're Jewish, so we just won't talk about your dad's yeah. background. It's like there was,
0: there was never this idea that as soon as you're 16 and you decide to be a Jewish man, you no longer are allowed to like care about your mm. dad's beliefs or his mm. family or like have a day where you celebrate Christmas. Like, right? It's okay. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't make you this horrible human being. Or horrible Vulcan. But like, (laughs) on Vulcan, it totally does. You are bad at being a Vulcan if you do anything to celebrate your mother's culture. And that is wrong. I'm just going to put it out there. Bad Vulcans. Bad Amanda for not, Mm. you know, saying, hey, I, I should count here.
1: I wondered... If this is a product of how the culture treated mixed relationships at the time. Because I'm also thinking now of the iconic novel, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret by Judy mm. Bloom. in which the heroine mm-hmm. has a Jewish parent and a Christian parent and is also feeling like she has to choose one. Yeah. So I wonder if just the culture at the time was not comfortable with the idea of a third culture kid, the way we are or the way we try to be now. I'm sure there
0: are plenty of mixed marriages that you do have to choose, or like you know, there's people who like convert to a certain religion in order to get married, mm. and all of that is is valid. Like, it's I'm not gonna get uh, into any religious debates <laughs> with anybody, but for this fantasy mm. planet that we made up of Vulcans, like. It's gross that logic is their religion, and that therefore that means that no other cultures can... There's no validity in anything else. Yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird that Vulcans are supposed to be superior to Mm. humans in all ways, and yet they're so backwards in some of their belief systems.
1: In-universe, I can sort of point to it and go, well, that's because they've effectively been a monoculture for thousands of years, and anyone who disagreed just went into exile and formed their own separate culture. true. They haven't learned to coexist the way human cultures had to. And outside of that, I I just have to explain it as it's a product of the times, and Mm. Vulcans were a metaphor for humanity. And I do think that we see evolution in the way Vulcans are expected to integrate into into society. And, yeah. you know, I, I think Michael comes along just after this Kaswan and her experience is very different.
0: Yeah, you're right about, like, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Because mm-hmm. I've also read other books, you know, about immigrants or immigrant families. I feel like I've read a lot of them. I don't know if I was interested or if, or if that's what was being taught when I was going through history and social studies Mm. in the 80s and early 90s like I'm curious if if I'm a product of the times too but like I I do remember those stories that were written about the same time and they are very you have to choose like you shouldn't have to say now I'm just all American all the time in order to be considered a person Right. So I want to talk about The Guardian of Forever. Yes. Because Carl. it showed up again in Discovery, as we know. And it was played by Paul... I can't pronounce his last name, but he was in CSI. Yes, yes, Captain Bross. And so, again, I I saw Loki Parallels. Oh, tell and me. And the, the idea of The Guardian of Forever was very much... The idea of He Who Remains, a.k.a. The, the head of the the TVA, who basically made sure that time went the way he wanted it to.
1: Yes, And
0: he, he said it was the right way, but the reality was it was the way that he wanted it to.
1: Yes, and damn any little girls who get in the way of that. Right. And so
0: The Guardian of Forever is like sort of a... A more genial, Mm. a more reasonable one who says, "Yeah, oh yeah, it's like the Guardian is totally okay." It was like, "Oh yes, Spock, sorry that you accidentally erased yourself from time. You can fix that. Go ahead."
1: Yeah, yeah, it's fine.
0: (laughs) But it was still like these super powerful overseers of time, Mm. like this idea, and you know, the TVA definitely guardians of time and guardians of forever it's, yes it's totally what it is and so i was just really into how you know city on edge of forever this this story from long long ago that is still resonating throughout star trek is also resonating throughout other properties like you could also say that the world between worlds is the same idea too yes which is the the star wars version And that's like super fun. All these stories are related, and I've
1: said many times, there's no new stories. It's just different ways of looking at them. And I think that as much as this really flattens our culture to look at everything through the perspective of, is this a franchise, and is this inspired by X other thing, or is it just something people came up with independently? Mm -hmm. The connections are there, and they can be important. And we can have both conversations. Yeah, I just think that it's
0: like, if it's a story shows up in multiple places, then you start thinking about why you start thinking about why that's interesting to people. And it's definitely interesting to me. i live my entire life on the idea that I make different decisions and another universe, Mm -hmm. you know, pops up somewhere. I don't mean to sound like a narcissist. I'm I'm saying that that's for everyone. It's comforting to me as a person to say, I have to make this choice, and so I'm going to choose A. But somewhere in the in the universe, I chose B, and so that happened as well. It makes it easier for me to make that choice and to let it go and say, like, okay, you know, I I made the best choice for me right now, but somewhere else, another me made a different choice that was the best choice for them. Which is sort of like the opposite of the TVA, but it's it's just really, like... It empowers me to make decisions. And I get a lot
1: of anxiety about decisions, (laughs) I don't know. I feel like I'm not alone in this. No, no, I think that's very common. And I think certainly your way of dealing with it makes as much sense as any. For me, I think, particularly in the last few years, the idea that there is a great and powerful entity controlling things and making sure things turn out the way they want is deeply terrifying. It should be reassuring, but I hate it. And so (laughs) I'm very into Sylvie killing He Who Remains, and I'm very into the idea that the Guardian of Forever has just noped out of society and is only turning up when a very special episode is required.
0: But what's fun is to sort of think of, like, what if Paul What's-His-Name-Guardian-of-Forever met up with He Who Remains? Mm. Like, Imagine the dinner conversation. I just think that would be great because they're sort of, we are very the same, but we look at it from different perspectives and that's like, that is fiction. That is the story. Mm. There's so many threads there and it's so fun. So
1: that's all I have to say. (laughs) I was very interested by DC Fontana saying something about how this is ethical time travel and had she had room to make a bigger episode, a full hour, she would have explored the fact that Thielen, the Andorian first officer, is not being wiped out of history by Spock's actions here. He's just going to take a different path. And I like the idea of ethical time travel. I think that is a phrase that we should introduce into our lives. Mm -hmm. And... I enjoy Thielen as a character because he's barely there and he's just kind of, I don't want to say basically Spock with antennae because he's actually quite well drawn, but he's a very simple character who is nevertheless very quickly likable. You could definitely
0: tell stories about him. You could do a short trek about him right? mm. and people would be it oh, because yeah. you want to know what happened to him. At least I do. I, and I agree. I like the idea of ethical time travel, but it's it's another one of those things where it's like, who decides what's ethical? Right. And again, that's another interesting story to tell and talk about. (laughs) That's very low-key. And there's also like, I lost my thread, but but I was going to say something about specifically DC Fontana having her ethics, but I don't remember what it is. If it comes back to
1: me, I will. I will seamlessly incorporate it. I will not seamlessly incorporate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what it was. It
0: was that Voyager deals with this, and Voyager like totally gets called out multiple times being mm. not ethical into <laughs> the time stream. But also, they keep doing it. Like Voyager literally ends on, "Let's just, you know, timeline be damned." <laughs> Maybe when it comes to time travel, ethical is what you get away with. It's possible. But it's interesting that they have time cops, you know, similar to the TVA, Mm, that mm. show up and say, no, you can't do that. And it's in Deep
1: Space Nine too, like Trials and Tribulations. It's even now and then a, a, a small thing in classic Doctor Who with the Celestial Intervention Agency, the CIA, who are the time lords that interfere. And yeah, this idea that we need all powerful bodies to control time for us.
0: I mean, that's related to the fact that we think we need all-powerful people mean mm. everything, like we think we need cops. Yes. <laughs> yes. We need time
1: cops because we need cops, like that's the through line, right? So what I'm saying is abolish the time police.
0: Yeah. Abolish the time police! <laughs> because this is very similar to the, you know, why do we need eight different Star Treks? Why do we need a Black Widow movie after she died? And it's like, because someone wants that. I want that. I have been waiting for a Black Widow movie my entire life. I know. <laughs> and I finally got it. So this idea that there is one way to do things, that there is one story to be told and nothing else matters. Like, I just, I'm Sylvie and I say no. <laughs> that is
1: that is just not true. I am always team Sylvie. Speaking of women and relationships, in the alternate timeline, Spock dies and so Amanda divorces Sarek and then dies on her way back to Earth because I guess we can't have anyone remarrying because mothers are pure. I'm just really, really into this.
0: It suggests that the only thing keeping Amanda in this relationship is her children.
1: I mean, it's it's not unusual for a relationship to end after a child's death. I, I have no personal not experience, but I, I understand it's very common. Mm-hmm. But I'm also like, what was keeping... Like, she could have left any time. Just take your children and leave Vulcan, and Amanda. You, you can have shared custody with Sarek. You don't even have to get divorced. You can stay married and just live on Earth. Make him yeah. adapt to you. It's funny because... Spock
0: really acts like an only child, even though we know that he has siblings. Yes. But he is their only... Like, he's Amanda's only, you are my child that that I gave birth to. Yeah,
1: he's her only biological child.
0: She definitely loves her other children. Like, she loves Michael. Of course. I I, I haven't seen her with Cybok. She loves Michael. But when Michael's not there, certainly, she treats Spock as an only child. Mm. He has only child syndrome,
1: And middle child and
0: youngest He's yeah exactly He didn't have a relationship with Cybok And his relationship With Michael became strained almost immediately Yeah So it's similar to his Relationship with his Vulcan peers in that like I should have friends But my peers don't Understand me and it's similar It's like Mm. I have these siblings
1: But I'm still not allowed to have Them (laughs) I don't think it's unusual for people to have a tense relationship with their siblings in childhood and then go on as adults to develop a different kind of friendship. That seems pretty common to me, and it's just a shame that, that Spock... in my family. Yeah, it's just a shame that Spock it... is constantly losing his siblings right as yes. they're developing a relationship. It's, it's a weird trope that he's stuck in. Well, I noticed that, like, stop killing Amanda in alternate timelines, please. I'm just putting that out there. Seriously,
0: I guess it was easier for them. Maybe it gave Spock more, like he's willing to change the timeline to to keep her alive. I think that's he's definitely part change of it. the timeline. Yeah. to keep himself alive. But it's still annoying. It's it's still annoying that she's dead. I'm I'm just like pro don't kill moms.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, no, you know. that's it. I do think that Spock needed that extra emotional push, and I don't actually think Sarek would have provided it had Sarek been the one to die, but yeah. Oops. Orcs.
0: But you know what? Sarek made his own bed. Sarek is the one who completely failed to parent any of his children. Yes. Or be a good husband. Like, Sarek is the worst. I love (laughs) Sarek, I love that he honestly wants to be better but he is just terrible
1: he is so Every bad decision at. he makes is bad I want to know in this timeline where Spock has died and then Amanda has left and also died does Sarek still adopt Michael oh my gosh what an interesting concept single dad Sarek I, I mostly feel bad for Michael because I don't think that is actually a healthy situation for her no. But it's interesting. It's definitely interesting. The
0: idea that Sarek didn't remarry, like, I don't, that did not compute for me.
1: Because, A, he's Vulcan, aren't they required? Well, I assume like... that they have ways around Ponfar if, you know, allegedly <laughs> you can masturbate, I mean, meditate through it. But yeah, Sarek's. Sarek seems like a wife guy. Sarek like... is definitely a wife guy. And he he's into his human ladies. Both of his known wives are human, and then he also had a previous Vulcan partner, the mother of Cybok. So yeah, right, it, so... he doesn't seem like someone who likes being single. So now I'm
0: imagining the Serik raises Amanda, not raises Amanda. The Serik <laughs> raises Michael by himself. Timeline. He wouldn't, like, he wouldn't seduce her. Like that's gross. That's not where I'm going, but. I can imagine him adopting Michael to be his, like, to take care of his house and keep him on track and Mm -hmm. be his his person in
1: charge of things because he's terrible at being in charge of things. He is. He is. That is terrible as a concept, but it has a sort of Victorian Gothic concept behind it. It's super interesting to think about. Michael would actually be good at it.
0: Yeah. And she would be so desperate for his love and attention and, like, want to
1: please him this is horrible no Michael this is terrible Michael I hate it but it's not bad no it's terrible it's bad it's not It's really really bad but also would make a good story it comes out of a long line of fiction and even true stories of this type of relationship which is messed up but I'm into it I'm yeah I thought you were going to go, single dad Sarek hooks up with Cat Cornwell, and... Well, that obviously happens. <laughs> I've not written anything, but I've
0: plotted out the alternate timeline to Kelvinverse, <laughs> where Sarek totally marries Cat after Amanda dies. <laughs> that, that happened in at least one timeline. And this is why I love... Timelines, because mm. I can have all of them.
1: Your head don't cannons have don't have to be consistent.
0: No, my head cannons don't have to be consistent at all. I can have every single one, and it's still it's still valid. It
1: still happened somewhere. I just think that if Michael is going to be raised by single dad Sarek, Kat is really the only person who is going to get her to adulthood with anything resembling mental health. Or wait, wait. Giorgio, oh yes, okay, yes, that would also be amazing, and I could see. And Sarah you know what, I totally, totally
0: shipped. Yeah, until Cat and Serik hung out at all, I totally shipped Giorgio <laughs> and Serik too. No, it,
1: no, it just same. like
0: was taken over by my cat feelings. But it happens. But in that, those first episodes, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I they're like clearly this. friends. Serik, <laughs> <laughs> and and Giorgio hanging out that, Michael, would end up really happy, I feel. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I like that. Okay, so all is not lost for Michael in this universe. I also feel bad for her sort of coming into this household in what I assume is the months after Spock's encounter with Tom Selleck and near-death experience and the death of the beloved family pet. And and this household is already so fraught. And then in comes this traumatized (laughs) little girl. Yeah. Ooh, ooh!
0: I understand that you know Serik felt responsible, and he also had this weird idea where if he brings in more
1: humans, it'll somehow make. It's like when you get a cat, and your cat is lonely, so you get another cat.
0: It doesn't make sense, but but okay, Serik. Serik's very flawed logic. Mm. And I love, I love the Serik family. I love them. They are horribly screwed up by all of their family trauma, but I love them. Yes, And so I'm all for it, I would never be against it, and I love any AU where there are more of them. (laughs) Just all of them. They can adopt Loki, they
1: can adopt whoever,
0: go for it.
1: I think that the AU where Sarek adopts Loki is (laughs) amazing. Look it's pretty great. Like he wouldn't have magic because he's not ra- raised on Asgard. He would just have sarcasm and logic. You know what? Loki mm-hmm. would make a really good Vulcan. I mean, he he has that sort of trollishness, uh, and the right. best bit is like the whole Vulcans don't and lie thing is really going to work for him. he has that you know sense
0: of entitlement and sense of superiority, mm-hmm. and uh, that I just know better than any of you.
1: I think we were talking just recently about how Vulcans and Asgardians have the whole moral superiority, please don't ask about our history of imperialism and genocide thing happening.
0: Yeah. It's fun. When I first got into Thor, after the mm-hmm. first movie, I, at that point, made connections between my love of Vulcans and Romulans. So, it's there. I'm not crazy, it's there. Or I am crazy and it's there. Either way So can we talk about the big emotional moment where Ichaya dies It's so sad It is sad So Spock's pet that is like a teddy bear with fangs Is I believe how it's described in Journey to to Babel Yes is injured during his trip to manhood injured saving spock's life too yes injured saving spock's life so this is like super emotional and they get a healer but the healer you know says all i can do is make him more comfortable mm-hmm. and and let him die i can't fix this that's rough so Spock chooses to allow the healer to euthanize his pet, and that's what convinces him that he should be a Vulcan,
1: which is a lot to unpack. It's interesting that this is the choice that pushes Spock towards Vulcanhood, when it's also a choice that humans do have to make. Maybe not human, children, right. but like the whole point of telling that I story think... is that this is something that children do deal with, and DC Fontana felt that they weren't being prepared for it.
0: Right. What I've read in a number of places is that a pet dying is actually very good for children Mm. because they learn the concept of death and the concept of something that I love and that was a part of my family and that was a part of my everyday existence is now gone. And that's really sad and really traumatic and and like what death even is,
1: Mm. without
0: losing a parent, a brother, a grandparent, you know? It is super traumatic to lose a pet. Yes, yes. Plenty of people spend more time with their cats than their grandma and are more upset by losing the cat than by losing the grandma that they saw maybe once. Like, and that's okay. Like, no one should feel bad about that. (laughs) <laughs> but there have been studies and if a child loses a pet and then loses a parent mm. or or someone or a grandparent that they have a very close relationship to they are more prepared. They are more capable of understanding what happened and going through those, you know, stages of grief. Yeah. Because they're prepared for it. They've had that, you know, first loss. And so I think DC Fontana was absolutely correct that you could do this and you could do this in a kids' show. And, you know, they do it on
1: Sesame Street, so why can't they do it on Star Trek? Yeah, and I'm very squeamish about animal death in media. I really don't like it. I nearly noped out of the season two of Ted Lasso in the first five minutes. And I love that show. But Mm. a dog dies. It's very sad. But I think this was handled really tastefully and respectfully and... It was a kind story. It didn't feel like it was going, well, kids, everyone you love is going to die, starting with your pet. It was child appropriate. And uh, I personally need my depictions of pet death to be child appropriate.
0: I'm gonna go back uh, to my, the Vulcans are wrong rant. The fact that Bach decides to suppress his emotions for the rest of his life, Mm-hmm. Because his pet died. It is a problem. And that is not healthy. No. That is not a healthy response to the death of your pet. It is my response to the death of a pet, but. The healthy response is to cry, you know, to deal with it, to have those emotions, to feel them, to live with them. And that's the only way that they won't rule your life. If you suppress them, you end up Darth Vader. Like, I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. <laughs> and so because i know spock and because i know that he doesn't actually express all his emotions no. i'm not worried about him and again i think this is a really good story for spock i think it's a wonderful story for adult spock realizing what he needs to hear as a child mm. to become who he is and to make it easier on himself i think that's great i love it i love self-love so good job spock the reason I've read studies about children losing pets and then parents, Mm. and the reason that I've studied how watching something like Star Trek can help you work through your own traumatic experiences and how fiction is not, it can't teach you things and it can't, like, help you in the way a therapist can help you, but it can give you the the tools and the language to describe Mm. how you're feeling. My brother, who had never seen, he'd seen like two MCU films, watched WandaVision, and has watched it three times now. And it's the best thing he's ever seen. And he loves it. And he said he'd never felt seen until he saw Wanda. (laughs) And it's because that ability to both your your trauma takes over and then also like bring it back in and say this is a part of me and it made me and i'm not letting go of it but i'm also not going to let it take over. like that's such an amazing lesson yes and you know what a dog dies in wandavision too yeah (laughs) it's like they sort of creep up to, we're gonna kill off everybody, starting with the dog, to like mm. ease you into it in that same way. It's very intelligent psychological
1: storytelling. And, and even though there's the, of course the twist that Agatha killed Sparky, it's also that the death of the dog itself is conveyed in A Lesson for Children, right. which is, again, the only acceptable way to kill an animal in media.
0: And totally, it's like the opposite of Spock, where she's like, don't skip over this. Don't ignore this. You know, don't make not feeling this a part of your personality.
1: (laughs) Make feeling
0: this a part of your personality. Yeah. So, media is important. It's not more important than human relations and interactions, (laughs) you know?
1: You have like, to say that because you have just pitched the worst fic ever. I'm just saying. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was right, and I'm, I'm so proud that they stood up and said, no, this dog's going to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's going to be good. And then yeah. the thing is that, like, Spock comes back to the future, and he's like, that didn't happen. That's not how I remember it. So it was a lesson for children, but it was also a lesson for adult Spock, and that's kind of great.
1: Yeah. And then Kirk's like, oh, well, it's just a pet. And, and I'm like, you are a monster. You are history's greatest monster. <laughs> Spock totally like pushes back on that, too. And he's like, no,
0: yeah. Yeah. it's not just a pet. Like, it yeah. matters.
1: It does. And Yay. I th- feel like as an adult, Spock is in a better position to understand that than tiny child Spock. Yes,
0: absolutely.
1: Which is why tiny child Spock was lucky to have adult Spock. Spock's parting words to Sarek, can you at least try to make an attempt to be a good dad for me?
0: (laughs) Oh my god, heartbreak, right? Like, arrow
1: through the heart. Poor
0: Spock. I think when I was live tweeting, I just did the crying emoji. (laughs) Because I was just like, I can't handle this. Poor Spock. Spock.
1: Oh my gosh! I cannot. Yeah. yeah. It's hard out there for us. You deserve so much better. Oh uh, so much better. Uh, starting with a better childhood costume. Oh my the, gosh! The little boy Vulcans <laughs> are just running around in like speedos with beauty queen sashes and cowboy boots. It is terrifying. No child like
0: that in and of itself is like. No. Vulcan, no. No.
1: My brother won't just... appreciate me sharing this story, but when he was like two or three, he liked to wear uh, a water pistol uh, in a holster around his nappy and gumboots and nothing else. And that's what I think of whenever I see these tiny Vulcan children. I called it off-brand He-Man. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what
0: is going on? What is going on with these children? And they're all horrible. Like, that, that's the other thing, is that... Spock is bullied. Yes! In this, he's bullied in 2009. And, like, again, his parents do nothing. Why does Vulcan
1: have such a terrible bullying problem?
0: Sarek basically tells him to, you know, stiff up or lip it. Yeah. And, and, and it's just like, what is going on? How is that acceptable?
1: How is that logical mm. in any way? Mm. Amanda is meant to have been a primary school or an elementary school teacher before she married and it's like she should have skills to deal with this oh my gosh but it really was you know the 70s I'm sure they thought it was build character or whatever you ruined so many people with those ridiculous ideas (laughs) the Vulcans are sort of the ultimate boomers they're like well we had to suffer and we had to suck it up so now you should as well and if you don't they will ask to speak to your manager your manager is logic. I want to see more
0: Vulcans in Discovery Era, because I want to see yes. that they've evolved.
1: Desperately. I desperately want to see
0: that they've evolved.
1: I want to see that they've evolved, and that they're happier, and that they've found new ways right. to be. Without losing what made them uniquely Vulcan, they did make up with the Romulans. Yeah. So it's like, okay, that's a good place to start. I yes. like this idea. I am very much a unificationist. I feel like both of these societies broke when they separated. Yes, exactly. Because what happens is
0: that they're the extremists. The extremists on both sides are now separated and no one is arguing against the extreme anymore. Mm. And so they just become more of that.
1: Yeah. My other note on the costumes is that, like, the art is really strange in this series you have these beautiful painted looking backdrops and then you have these very very cheap human or human-esque figures but then you have these pops here and there of hot pink and it is not part of the overall palette of the show at all and it's so weird like you you've put a screen cap in our notes of a lady wearing a hot pink cat suit with a pink streak in her hair I well like she's her. a girl she's my favorite she is a girl she is voiced by major barrett <laughs> that's how you know she's yeah. a girl She's a girl, so she has to be in pink. Amanda is also in pink. Yes. But then you have, like, the healer's hot pink car. (laughs) Like, the palette is so strange to me.
0: He's pretty amazing, too. He has, like, a a green, you know, Vulcan, flowy Jedi robe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And Spock changes into his I'm going to go pretend to be Selic outfit and it is like blue like looks like a flannel
1: like yes! onesie
0: thing. <laughs> I'm just like what? You look like something it's like a you know
1: a grandma would wear. It's just so weird. I think what this demonstrates is that even in animation, it's important to have some budget for costume design. Was that really what anyone was wearing?
0: No! And whenever this was made? Like, I just feel like no.
1: This looks like <laughs> a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. It is so cheap, and I really do think that they had basic human figures and mm. drew simple clothes on top of them. That would be cheap to animate, And like I'm not throwing shade here because that is basically how I draw, but also I am not a professional artist. <laughs> I am at this moment drawing Vulcan Loki for you though. Yes!
0: So she's great, and her name is Gray.
1: The which lady in pink.
0: Me. Yeah. That is cool. <laughs> Grey. So that's mm. cool. And then the griffin. Yes.
1: Which
0: this is just clearly a griffin. Like, or a large chicken. Like, <laughs>
1: you know, look. You know, chickens have their place in Starfleet.
0: And he's just naked. He's just wearing a tricorder and that's it.
1: Yeah. It's just the
0: way and it should I just... be. I mean, it's so you wear? to me. Yeah.
1: What am I going to say? Oh, please, sir with the giant claws on your hands and feet, put on some clothes.
0: Put on some clothes. No,
1: he doesn't need he doesn't need
0: clothes. He is a griffin scientist. Mm, mm. He would look ridiculous in live action. They they could not animate that well enough to make him no. not look ridiculous
1: in live action. So I appreciate him. I would love for some enterprising hair fan out there to put in a million hours of free labor and just do new art to support the audio. Like, Ooh, that'd be cool. It would be really hard work, like I'm, I'm saying this out loud and I'm like, no, animators have better things to do with their time. <laughs> animators have better things to do. But if they did, this would be the episode to do it. Yeah, <laughs> if, if, if I were a talented artist and a budding young animator, I would do a few minutes of that for my show reel. Just because I do think this is a great story and it deserves to be prettier and people yes. deserve better costumes, and these Vulcan children do need to go and put on some clothes. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Vulcan children need to
0: put on some clothes. Spock needs to change out his pajamas. Like, I think Sarah's wearing the same thing, so both yeah. of them need to change yeah. out of their pajamas. Amanda is just sad. Again, I watched this for the Amanda Fashion Project, and yes, uh, so sad. this is like not even a costume.
1: And also she doesn't look she doesn't look like the Amanda in the actual no. episode. No, like... and because she's voiced by Majel Barrett Roddenberry, mm-hmm.
0: she sounds wrong as well. That's not shade on Majel Barrett, but I now know what Majel Barrett sounds like because she voices everything. And so
1: it's hard I have developed feelings over the years about Roddenberry's insistence on putting his mistress slash wife in everything regardless of whether <sighs> it's a good part for her like yeah it's it's basically it's nepotism, nepotism and it makes me uncomfortable and it makes me resent when she turns up in a role that doesn't really suit her like I don't think she was amazing as Christine Chapel. I think she was brilliant as Loxana but I don't like Loxana as a person and I kind of just wish she had just been number one and the computer voice. And the fact that all the women in this look alike, and they're all voiced by right. Rachel Barrett except Ahura, yeah, it's weird. yeah, <laughs> it's like you can have more than two women in the world, guys. <laughs> yeah. I will. Shall hey. we outro ourselves? I think so. I don't have anything more to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very small episode, and I'm quite happy to have a short one to edit. Anyway. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod and on Facebook. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. I keep thinking that we should, like, tweet something about getting reviews or say something at the beginning of an episode because I feel like people have probably tuned out by this point. And join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing the DS9 two-parter Past Tense.